0: Hey, I downloaded this app called The Perfect Marriage. Uh huh. This is where we have to do challenges together, right? Yep. Well, we'll read this one. Today's challenge is to reconnect in nature. I don't think you're doing that right. I'm doing it wrong. This fire's just broken. Okay. Uh, the instructions say put this um, at a twenty-five do you know degree like angle. You look like I need instructions. So many flies. Flies here. Re- Ow. I That's the big strong man. Is the one that's supposed to know how to put the tent together. No. <laughs> I don't think that's how that works What do you mean? This is totally fine I can handle stuff like this It doesn't have to be this hard Hey, uh, welcome to the 60 Day Marys Challenge Glad you're part of this It's going to be exciting and fun Real quick shout out, uh, to our satellite campuses, to Santan, who's joining us, and then especially today to Scottsdale. Today is Scottsdale's one year anniversary since we launched that campus. It's a really cool day. I just, just want to say to Scottsdale, man, you guys are doing a great job out there. Keep it up. We're so excited for you. Hey, uh, we're getting ready to hop into this uh, marriage challenge for the next 60 days. And I just want to say out loud to you real quick, I guarantee you there's going to be moments in the challenge you're going to go, okay, that's stupid. That's just, I, I, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. I'm not sure I'm going to do that part of the challenge. I'm just going to suggest you look, 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 look. just like if you were doing uh, some sort of a get in shape, insanity, P90X type thing, there's going to be some moments you go, I don't think I like that exercise. I don't like that part of the diet. You will not get the result. If you pick and choose. So I'm just going to ask you for 60 days, because look, I can't run too much of your life in 60 days uh, for 60 days. Would you just do the challenges even when the challenges are dumb? Even if a moment you don't agree, because look, here's the deal. Sometimes, sometimes doing the right behavior, even when I don't understand the behavior, even when I don't quite agree with the behavior is beneficial. If you're driving in England, driving on the left hand side of the road makes sense, even if you know that they're stupid for doing it, right? So it's just <laughs> would you just do it, which is for sixty days and see what the results are like? But if you start picking and choosing, you will not see the effect of what we're gonna do together. So that, that's part of our challenge. Just want to ask you to do that, even when in moments you don't agree. All right, here we go. Sixty day um, Mary's challenge. Um, you get that men and women are different, right? That's one of the reasons this whole thing is a challenge. And somebody sent me something uh, just the other day that just kind of uh, defined some of the differences between how men and women look at the very same moment. So I thought I'd share a couple with you because they kind of have smiles. Uh, men and women are different about arguments. A woman always has the last word in an argument. Anything a man says after that is the beginning of a new argument. <laughs> men and women are different about dressing up. A woman will dress up to go shopping, water the plants, empty the trash, answer the phone, read a book, and get the mail. A man will dress up for weddings and for funerals. Men wake up looking as good as they did when they went to bed. (laughs) Women somehow deteriorate during the night. I don't know if that says something about women or it says more about men. Okay, yeah. Uh, men and women look, think very differently about children. Uh, women know all about their children. They know what dentist appointments they have. They know what current romances they're involved in. They know their best friends. They know their favorite foods, their secret fears, their hopes, their dreams, their birth dates, etc. A man is vaguely aware that some short people are living in his house. <laughs> uh, thought for the day. A married man should forget all of his mistakes. There's no use in two people remembering the same thing. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So here we go. We're going to start a six-day marriage challenge um, together. Now here, here's, here's, hopefully this brings a little bit of hope for you. My guess is that an awful lot of us in this room, you've been to something like this, you've been to some sort of a seminar, some sort of a conference, and in all likelihood, here's what may have happened. You said, hey, I kind of, you know, they gave me some good practices, there was some good information, you know, we actually applied those to our marriage for a little while, but I just got to be it's almost like it wore off. It's almost like uh, eventually we kind of ended up back in the same rut that we were in before. And let me tell you why I think that happens and why today may help us get to a different place. Chances are the information you got was helpful information. It was good information. The problem is, is that there is a core problem, a systemic problem in the relationship between men and women. And until you and I address that core issue, then everything else is going to be like painting over rust. In other words, it may look okay for a while, but pretty soon the rust is going to show back up again and it's going to be weaker than ever. So what we're going to spend time today is going back and saying, okay, how did God create this relationship between a man and a woman uh, to work? And then where did we get so far off? What is it that's so broken about this relationship that it is constantly a challenge in our lives? So grab your Bibles and uh, hopefully this will be a marriage-changing uh, conversation. It's Genesis uh, chapter 3. Uh, verse 16. And if you're not real familiar, it should be easy today. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. So Genesis chapter three, verse 16. And guys, we're going back to the beginning of this conversation about men and women. Let me give you what's happened up until this moment. Uh, Adam and Eve have been created. Uh, they've been placed in the garden of Eden. And God says to them, look, 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 you can, you can uh, go anywhere you want to go. You can do what you want to do. You can eat of any uh, tree or any fruit, anything in the garden of Eden. There's just one tree. And you can't eat the fruit from that tree. And immediately, because it was the one tree that they couldn't eat from, it was the one tree they wanted uh, to eat from. And uh, if you're probably familiar with the story, uh, the serpent who was actually Satan in disguise comes. He tempts Eve. Eve ends up eating the fruit. She talks Adam into uh, eating the fruit with her. And things change. Everything is suddenly different from the original purpose and creation of God. And matter of fact, in this moment, here's what you got to get. There is a huge hemorrhaging of what God intended. Things, things will not be the same again. And God begins to go through this list with Adam and Eve to say, guys, do you understand what you've just done? And what's affected in that moment, first off, is our relationship with God. God. There is something that becomes so wildly broken in that moment. It's the reason that ultimately humankind will need and require a savior. It's the brokenness that comes directly out of this decision. Uh, Our relationship with the earth around us is broken. And God goes into this uh, conversation to say, look, it's going to be so much Harder for you to make a living and to exact from the earth all of, you know, its produce and stuff because you have changed the game with this decision. But what you and I sometimes I think miss as we read this conversation is that God also then says the relationship between a husband and a wife has been drastically altered by this decision. There, there is a, there is a challenge coming to you. It was never intended. You were never supposed to have to wrestle with this. But this relationship between a man and a woman is forever changed by what you just did. And he describes it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. Here we go. It's a conversation God's having with Eve. Here's what he says to Eve. Genesis 3, verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. Uh with painful labor, you will give birth to children. How many women right now are going, thanks a lot, Eve? I mean, that. any women in here go, man, I, I just had the easiest child delivery. I mean, it was like, what? You know, and there was a baby. I mean, it was just simple. Anyone do that? One. Okay. So we hate you. We, we hate you. Okay. Because you were the one exception to the rule. All right. So, I will make it pains and childbearing, very severe, painful labor. Uh, I will give you birth for your children. And here, whoa, 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 watch this. This is the one, ready? Your desire, he says to Eve, will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And in that phrase, God describes this cataclysmic, absolutely Huge breach that happens in the relationship between a man and a woman. Now, he says to Eve, he says, look, your desire is going to begin to be for your husband. He is not talking about sexual desire. That would be a blessing, right men? I mean, I, desire on, right? That, that's not what he's saying to Eve. She had sexual desire before the fall. That has nothing to do with, here's what he's saying. You're going to desire to direct And steer your husband. See, you're, for the first time, are going to look at him and say, he's not what I wanted. He's not living up to my expectation. And from this day forward, you're going to intrinsically, in the fear of your heart, want to steer him and fix him. And and you're going to do whatever that takes, whether whether you have to manipulate the moment or whether you have to outflank him intellectually. But your desire is going to be to ultimately be in control of this relationship. Eve, this is a huge change in the status between you and your husband. He then says, and he's going to respond by ruling over you. Now, get the moment. Adam was already the head of the home, but he says, now here's what's going to happen. In that moment, as you begin to steer and as you begin to push in his life, and you begin to say, "Hey, why aren't you?" How he's going to dig his heels in. His chest is gonna puff out, and he's suddenly gonna become obstinate in this moment. He, he, he's gonna be domineering in this moment, he's gonna be intimidating in this moment. He's now gonna use all of his physical strength to actually be imposing in this moment, and you will suddenly be in competition for the relationship. And God, why watch, watch? And God said, This shift. This change in how a woman and a man relate to each other is huge. And, if, and if, if you can't figure out how to get back to what God intended it to be, you will struggle, you will struggle, you will struggle, you will struggle, and you will resent, and you will resent throughout the relationship. Guys, here's, here's what you gotta get. When we introduce competing into the relationship between a man, because that's what it is, right? When we begin to say, no, 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 I'm gonna, I'm gonna decide where we go, I'm gonna decide how we, I'm, when we bring competition to this relationship, you realize that immediately our affection, our love for each other becomes conditional. Because what we say is, look, well, here's the deal. Uh, I'm going to decide how I feel about you as a husband. I'm going to determine what I think of you as a wife based on performance. See, I've got some expectations. I've got dreams about what I thought my husband would always be like and what he would do. And, and I, I've i got dreams about how my wife would behave and how she would respond to me. And I'm just going to tell you, when you don't measure up, then I, I'm, just, I, I'm going to be deeply, deeply frustrated with you. And I'm going to try, ready? I'm going to try to fix you in this relationship. So we're going to be at odds constantly. We're going to be competing with who steers this thing all the time. And you get that competing love is conditional love. What what a man and a woman suddenly, because of this brokenness that happened in the fall, begin to say to each other is, look, I'll love you if you perform. If you behave the way I think a husband ought to perform, if, if, if you'll be the type of wife that I always wanted you to be, then I'll consider giving my affection to you. It is absolutely conditional love. Which is why you have couples say things like, hey, we fell out of love with each other. You know what the answer is? You failed to meet the conditions of my expectations. We we competed with each other about what this marriage was going to look like and I finally gave up. You realize, guys, 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 get this. That is a direct result of this broken moment that happens in the garden. Let me ask you a question. Why would you and I ever offer our spouse conditional love? Why would you do that? We don't offer conditional love to our children. I mean, mean, when's the moment you would say to your child, okay, look, that's the 14th time you haven't cleaned up your clothes. I don't love you anymore. (laughs) No, I'm telling you, we're going to go to the lawyer. I'm going to get a writ of emancipation. You're out of the house. No, I know, I know, I know you're 12, but hey, you've burned through all your chances. <laughs> See, we, 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 la- we would never do that to our children. How is it that we so intuitively offer our children unconditional love and withhold it from our spouse? Is there any part of you that believes that's what God intended for this relationship between a man and a woman? Or is this conditional, competitive way of relating to each other have everything to do with the brokenness that happened through Adam and Eve? And here's what you need to hear me say. Competitive love, competitive marriage is doomed. It's why no matter how much marriage advice you get, you will go back into the rut because you are wrestling with each other. In that moment. Now there are some of us in the room and you go, Lynn, but I'm glad you're telling this to other people right now. Because, <laughs> uh, my marriage is so good. And, and, and you need to be careful. Because maybe, maybe, maybe you've already figured out and you're going to be already at the end of this conversation and you've already, and, but there's a chance. There's a chance the reason you feel so good about your marriage right now is because you're winning. See, here's the thing that happens, watch. Here's the thing that happens in a competitive relationship. Somebody's gonna win and somebody's gonna lose. And think about this for a second. How insane is it that you would be in a relationship with somebody that you claim to love, but the only way they can live with you is by being the loser? How unhealthy is that from the very outset? And you may be absolutely satisfied because the reality is you're able to out-argue, you're able to out-stubborn, you're able to out-manipulate, and you end up winning, and they end up losing most of the time. You ever been involved in a sport where you always lose? You ever have a job where you never make the sales quota? And here's what I can already promise you, you're not in that sport anymore. You found a different job. And every time you win... Against your spouse, you lose just that much more of their heart and the emotional intimacy is that much more removed because you ready for this? Nobody has deep heartfelt affection for their competitors. Matter of fact, isn't just the opposite true? Isn't our deepest heartfelt affection reserved for those who are on the team? You guys have seen this. Uh, they'll be doing some sort of a special on ESPN that we have. And here's some 65 year old guy talking about 35, 40 years ago when they were all playing football together. Or you'll see war veterans that talk about, hey, it was World War II and we were fighting. You go, that's 60, what, 60 years ago? And they're weeping. They're weeping and they say, my best friend. Was the guy in the foxhole with me? My best friend was the guy blocking on the line next to me. Why? Because as a team, we did something remarkable together. Original design as a team. Guess what you've never seen one of those guys say? Man, I love... I love the team we battled all the time. I love our arch rivals. They were so great. Why would you and I ever allow rivalry and competition to come into our home? Because. Because she has the desire to steer. Because he has the responsibility. of And we compete. And it is broken, and it will break us if we keep doing it. So what's the answer? The answer is you and I have got to make a conscious decision to say, look, 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 I am so done with that. That's, that's not who we're going to be from this moment forward. We're going to shift this thing back to God's original design. So grab your Bibles one more time. This time, just a page over. It's Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 18. And what we've done in this moment is we've kind of backed the bus up just a little bit to say, God, what was it you intended to happen between a man and a woman? How, what was it you hoped for when you created this thing? And here it is. It's verse 18. The Lord said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper for him. Guys, this is a, this is an absolutely power filled moment. Let me tell you why. And here's what, here's what if you'd been reading from the beginning of Genesis, you would have caught. For the first six days of creation, God says this, and God spoke. It came into being by the very words of God. All these guys are out there going, hey, it's a big... Yes, it was a big bang. It was the word of God that spoke it into existence and bam, it was there. So... Why is that so hard? But here, what, what, what? God spoke... It came into existence, and each time it does, what are the words God says after that? And it was good. Now that pattern repeats itself six times. And then you get to here, watch, you get to this passage, it says, and the Lord said, it is not good. It's the first time in scripture in which God says, this is, this is not right. This is, this is not good. And I'm going to do something about it. The Lord said, It is not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper for him. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that is what its name would be. So the man gave names to livestock and to the birds of the sky and the wild animals. But for Adam... No suitable helper was found. Now, guys, 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 guys. Why? Why does God ask Adam to name the animals? I mean, think about this for a second. God could have done a heck of a lot better job than Adam at naming the animals. God would have never named anything platypus. I'm just telling you, it wouldn't have happened. Uh, Why does God give this assignment to Adam? Adam. Adam is there naming the animals. They're coming in pairs. Male, female, you're a horse. Male, female, you're a rooster and a hen. Male and female, you're a ram and a an ewe. And over and over and over again, as Adam is forced to name the animals, he is reminded that he has no suitable helper. And guys, I had it. I don't know how dense this guy is. I don't know how long it takes Adam to figure out, but here's what I'm guessing. Surely by midway, right? Because we're talking thousands of animals. Surely by midway he's going, okay, God, I get it. And yet he has to sit there and name all the rest. Why? I'm pretty sure, you ready? I'm pretty sure that God wants Adam to be painfully aware. Of what it means to be alone. To not have this. You ready? Complimenting part of his life. That, that somehow. Him by himself. Is left with a soulish ache. That says. There's got to be someone. For me. You ready? That compliments me Back to the passage verse 21 So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep and while he was sleeping he took one of the man's ribs and then he closed up the place in the flesh Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib Now guys this is a, if you knew Hebrew this is an interesting play on words When it uses the word man in Hebrew, it's the word ish. When it uses the word woman, it's the word ishah. Which simply brings this connotation to it. Similar, ish, ishah. But different. Something more. Something else. You know, we get a little bit of that in the English version, right? We say man and then we say woman. The same, but something else. Something complementary. Something completing. The man made the woman from the rib. He had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. And, and the man said, "Like the, the man said, this is bone of my bones. This is flesh of my flesh. And he called... And she, and she shall be called woman, Isha, for she was taken from man-ish. That is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. How cool is that, guys? Some of the guys are going, let's get back. Let's get back to what God are you. yeah. You you get the moment, right? That in this moment, God is trying to make sure that Adam knows from the tip of his head to the bottom of his feet, this woman, this Isha that I'm bringing to your life. You've already had a little bit of a taste of what it would be like to live without her. And, And I made you name all those animals so you would understand the depth of aloneness because, 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 Adam, Adam, Adam. I don't want you to ever forget that she's A gift. I need you to treat her like a gift. I need you to handle her like a gift. She is not your rival, she's your blessing. She's Isha in your life. Grab your Bibles. Go with me real quick if you can to Psalm 139. It's going to be right in the middle of your Bible. Psalm 139. It's an interesting passage. We won't read it all. It's just, as you go through Psalm 139, David just expresses to God and says, God, man, you know me. You know me better than anybody else. You, you know when I wake up. You know when I go to sleep. You know what I'm fearful about. You know what I'm angry about. God, you know everything about me. But there's an inf- interesting phrase in here in verse 13. It's Psalms 139, verse 13. Here, here's what David says to God. For you created my inmost being, everything that makes me tick, everything that makes me, me, God, you created that. You knit me together in my mother's womb, which guys is just, it's just one reason that I I said, I am so opposed to the idea of abortion because scripture says that when David was in his mother's womb, God had a relationship with him. But here's how this applies today. You get the David saying from from the very beginning of my life, you knew who I was, you knew how I was wired, you knew what I needed in my life. Ladies, ladies, ladies. From the time your husband was a little boy, he knew God knew the longings of his heart. And when he brought you, he brought to your husband a gift. Not a competitor, a gift, a completer. Which is why. This is not about fixing him. This is not about controlling him. You are the gift to him. Men, from the time your wife was a little girl, God knew what thrilled her heart And he looked ahead in time. And when he brought her to you, you were supposed to be her gift. Which is why it is such a vile thing when a man leverages his strength or lords his authority. Because your strength and your ability and your capacity was to always be leveraged for her blessing, not against her. Because you're the gift. And, and here, here's where we, we... Ready? The way this changes today is that you and I have got to make a conscious decision that says, no, 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 I get it. I get that because of the fall. I get because of what happened in the Garden of Eden. I am so prone to become competitive with my spouse to try to fix them, to try to steer... that. It, it, it's what happened. It's the brokenness of what happened in the fall. But I choose... You Ready? I choose, instead of living in that brokenness, to live in the plan God originally instituted, which means I will be the completer for my spouse. I will be the gift of God in my spouse's life. But that doesn't happen without a conscious decision about your behavior. Let me me see if this helps. Leave me alone. I'm a freshman in Bible college, and our Bible college has a football team. And I go out for football. And before you get too excited, uh, just think about this. It's a tiny Bible college. There are no scholarships, and it's pastors playing football. So you get a pretty good idea, you know, what this was. Didn't change the fact that I am highly competitive. And so we go out for the football team and, you know, say, hey, what are you trying out for? And I go, quarterback. Now, here's the deal. There was a couple guys going out, but it really came down to me and one other guy. The other guy's name was Nate. And it couldn't have been more difference between the two of us. Nate was an absolutely natural athlete. He had an arm on him that was like a cannon. And he was fast. He could scramble like Michael Vick. I mean, the guy had all sorts of athleticism. I would have argued that I think I was more knowledgeable about the game. That I was more cerebral, that I understood the plays, I understood all the audibles, I knew what to do in certain circumstances, and I would have argued that my arm was much more accurate than Nate's. I, I thought it was pretty obvious who ought to be quarterbacking the team. The coach ended up deciding on Nate. And because in my heart I was still competitive with, it, I thought, okay, I gotta get the coach to fix this, because the coach is making a horrible decision. So they ended up putting me at wide receiver. So now Nate is throwing the passes. I'm supposed to catch the passes. So here we are in practice and I'd go out for my pattern and Nate would throw the ball. And if that ball was a step and a half ahead of me, do you think I sped up? No. See, my job was to expose Nate. Because he's my competitor, right? I need to expose him. If Nate threw one that was a little bit low on the ground and, you know, I needed to dive to get it. You you think I dove? No, 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 no. See, I need to fix this. I need to get my competitor out of the way so I can lead the team. Uh, this went on for about six weeks in practice and suddenly it dawned on me, we are a lousy team. This is horrible. We, we can't do anything right. And then it hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm, I'm part of the problem. And the decision's been made, and Nate is our quarterback. And if we're going to get any better, if there's any hope for us, I need to start being a receiver. And I asked myself in that moment, here's the question I asked. If Nate is going to be successful, what does he need from me? And my answer was this. He needs a receiver who will speed up. With every ball that's overthrown, he'll jump in the air as high as he can physically jump to catch balls that are misthrown. He'll dive, I don't care how hard the ground, he'll dive for every single ball. Because that's what Nate needs. To complete him. Can I tell you that our team went on that year to be undefeated. We went on the next year to be undefeated with Nate playing quarterback and me playing wide receiver. And it came out of a conscious decision that said, I'm going to stop competing with this guy. I'm going to start completing what our team needs. Which brings us to the moment. It brings us to a moment in which there are marriages in this room where you, one or both, need to say, I'm done. I'm done wrestling with my mate. I'm done arguing with my mate. I'm done trying to fix my mate. And I am simply going to become the gift of God to my mate. See, in that moment I had to say, Hey, what would a great receiver do for Nate? And what you and I need to do today is ask this question. What would a great husband do for his wife? If I was... If I was a real complete, what would a great husband do when his wife was complaining or the kids needed? What would a great husband do in a moment like that? What would a great wife do in the moments in which he's expressing dissatisfaction? What would a great wife do? What would a completing wife do? Who wasn't trying to fix, wasn't trying in a moment. Like that. So here's the challenge. You ready? 60 days. 60 days without fixing one another. 60 days without trying to compete. That you and I consciously, for 60 days, live as completers in our marriage. And, and there's even freedom right now that, you know, if it starts to get a little weird and hairy and all. You can raise your hand and go, hey, I think we're competing. I don't think we're completing right now. 60 days. In the seat back in front of you, there are cards. There's a card for him. There's a card for her. Part of this challenge is you're going to go home. In the next 24 hours, I need you to find couch time. And somewhere on the couch, here's the question that you're going to fill in and answer for each other. She's going to fill in hers. He's going to fill in his. And this is what I want you to write on the card. I feel most completed. In other words, the thing you do that when I see you do it so fills my heart. It's in that moment I look and I go, man, that guy is a gift of God to me. Or I look at that moment and I go, man, she is God's gift to me. And I want you to fill that out and then you're going to sit on the couch and you're going to exchange and explain. Hey, I just want you to know when you do this for me, man, I feel so completed. I, I... It totally makes sense why God brought you in my life. When you do this for me, man, I am so proud of you as a husband. And man, my heart is so filled. And you feel like God's gift to me. Because it's going to nudge us in the right direction. 60 days of no competing, only completing. It's by our heads. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the gift of our spouses. And God, we've spent so much time fighting them, trying to wrangle them into our perception of what they ought to be. We've been competing in our homes. And God, it just leaves us constantly broken. No wonder none of the other advice works. We're we're too busy wrestling each other to the ground. And God, give us the strength. Give us the... Insight to see those moments coming and for the next 60 days to just immediately stop and say, look, I'm not going to compete about this. I'm not going to fix my spouse about this. I'm going to simply turn this around and say, what does my spouse need for me in this moment? What would a great husband do? What would a great wife do in a moment like this if their heart was about being the gift of God, about completing their spouse? And God, let us experience what 60 days of that would be like. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.